podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Ruth. And this is a recovering from being pretty darn sick Tina. And we are Talkin' Smash, the podcast where we wear scarves and talk about Smash. Tina, tell me about the scarf you're wearing. I am wearing a white silk scarf that my daughter and I drew on as part of an arts and crafts project. And we did this years before Angelina Jolie wore a wedding dress with her children's drawings on it. Trend setting. Yay. Yes. And, and tell me about your scarf. My scarf I'm no longer wearing because uh, in a hunt for a microphone, it got dislodged. But it is, I've worn it before on the podcast. It is, you know, kind of like a gauzy podcast with large, um, it's a gauzy podcast. <laughs> it's a gauzy scarf <laughs> with large orange polka dots. And it is perfect for wrapping around your hair if you're going to be driving in a convertible. That's exactly what kind of scarf it is? Yes, it's and your scarf, you're, you're, you've got wrapped around a bun, which I think is also a very good scarf look. Thank you. All right. So uh, today we are going to be talking about episode ten, of season one of Smash, as opposed to season two, the only other season. And uh, this is the understudy, and it was directed by Adam Bernstein, who has directed all sorts of things. He has directed Thirty Rock. He has also directed. Oh, there was something so cool that he directed. I think I might know what the cool thing is. Yeah. In glancing through IMDb, it's what struck me. He directed the Baby Got Back video. He did. Yes. 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 He has. Yes, he did. He had like this whole career as a as a as a music video director, and, and he also directed like for the Beastie Boys and stuff so like that. So, what a perfect so, candidate yes. to direct Smash! Someone who has both TV and music video experience. Yes, and it was written by Jerome Hairston, who is a professor now at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts, yay Tish, uh, fighting violets, and um, he is a person of color, which is just always worth noting on this very, very white show. <laughs> so, um, let us start with our scarf count. Sure. Um, my scarf count was two, because I'm really sick. I wa- I'm getting over being really sick, and I was getting really sick when I watched this episode, and it wasn't until the last scene that I remembered I'm supposed to be counting scarves. So I counted Rebecca's scarf and Ivy's scarf. Excellent! <laughs> <laughs> well done! <laughs> so what's the real scarf count? So my scarf count, goodness knows what the real scarf count is, my scarf count was 12. Yay! So um, in the first scene, there is a male ensemble member who's wearing like this green kind of tapestry-esque scarf. And then Sam is wearing this red and gray striped scarf when he and Tom are out walking with Lawyer John trailing behind them. Um, Ivy Ivy wore a lot of scarves this week. (laughs) Ivy wore this blue and purple kind of flowered silk scarf. And then she wore this white gauzy scarf when she was in the middle of her music video imaginary music video I have feelings about that Um, and then Julia had a black scarf with white polka dots so we're up to five scarves then um, scarf number six oh Ivy again in a pale blue scarf 
Oh, then Tom had this like diamond patterned silk scarf. Oh, I think that at that point he and Julia are at the they're at the high school musical. Mm-hmm. So Julia also had a scarf then. She had like a chunky knit scarf. Um, oh, and then the high school teacher uh, at the at the high school musical, she had this gray knit scarf that was very plain and that had a teeny tiny infinitesimal border of sequins on it which I thought was adorable Um, and then Julia had this red dotted super long basically floor length scarf that she was wearing when she was making Leo breakfast and then stealing his cell phone (laughs) as one does and then we have Ivy's red silk scarf and then Rebecca's you know orange and red scarf her power scarf (laughs) yes that was that was a movie star scarf for, for sure so yeah, so I think Ivy is the scarf winner for the week, but everyone got some everyone got some licks in. Except Karen. No scarves for Karen. Okay. But lots of you know, what we really needed this week was like a lingerie watch, because there were, I think, four separate, um, very excellent lingerie outfits throughout the episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there uh, there was a lot to look at. There was a lot to look at this week. And uh, the NBC.com synopsis of this episode is, The show has landed star Rebecca Duvall, but Eileen is thrown into a panic. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, so, um, yeah, let's just dive in then. So we start off in our beloved rehearsal room that is all set up for a table read, and sitting in chairs along one side are all of the investors. We have like two or three rows of investors, and then right there in the front, we have real-life person Manny Azenbrook, who we saw in the pilot or the second episode, I forget which, and then we've got another investor who I think we've seen before who is an actual actor, and then Robin Goodman, who I looked up, and is also a real person. When I saw her, I was like, "I bet you this is a real life lady," because her 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 style was so distinctive. And I think if it had been an actor, like the hair and wardrobe people would not have spent as much time making her as distinctive as she looked, because she had like this she had this black hair with like one white streak in it, and it was awesome. Yeah, she she really stood out. Like if she had been an actor, she totally would have gotten like awards for this week <laughs> but uh yeah no she was uh like she's someone i would like want to work for in real life she just looks like a dame yeah she looks yeah. like a no-nonsense lady who knows she could be the inspiration for eileen we don't know Ooh, wouldn't that be interesting yeah i noted that there were so so many people in that room it almost looked like a courtroom <laughs> and i i took a course in college called theater of the courtroom and it was mm. taught by a woman who had defended the Black Panthers. It was really a cool class. That is very cool. Yeah. yeah. So the investors, like I think the investors would find Eileen guilty this week, at least based on the based on the first scene, because everyone's there, and except for one blatantly empty chair where the star would yes. go. And in the courtroom of public opinion, Angelica Houston not having a super great week. Did you read that article? No. She did this interview with Vulture. Okay. Um, and she she's asked about the Me Too movement. And she, oh, did she say something? She said bad things. and But also, I think that the question... I want to say up front, two things up front. One, her... I do not... I'm not this is I'm not going to defend her comments whatsoever and I also think that 
we should be asking men of her generation this question and not her um, and people like her because Angelica Houston is somebody who also had to come up in this environment again and again and again. Um, Angelica Houston is a like a survivor of you know sexual harassment and sexual predation. She is also a survivor of intimate partner violence. And I think that sometimes we've seen this with um, other people like Chrissy Hind and like Joan Jett, like people who have been subjected to sexual harassment and at, at times um, sexual assault are asked to speak on behalf of women (laughs) about these things and they give less than stellar answers. And I think that really these questions should be directed to the men more than the women. Uh, But I said all that to say that Angelica Houston is like, I would totally work with uh, Woody Allen again. Like, he's a real treat. And um, and also, why, yes, I was in a house while Roman Polanski was raping a 13-year-old. But you have to understand, it was the 70s. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, well. I think it's a better question to ask Kate Blanchett and Emma Stone why they worked with Woody Allen than to ask Angelica Houston, who worked with him in a different age and time. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And again, why are I just want to keep and, and also, it back yes. to why? Like, <laughs> ask Colin Firth that, why he worked worked with Woody Allen, and like you know, yeah. rather than. Um, Rather than like anybody talking to um, what's his face, um, Louis C.K. Like, why the first question people should be asking Louis C.K. is Louis C.K. Like, as a sexual predator, why did you choose to work with Woody Allen, <laughs> a sexual predator? You know, I, I yes, I think, and this is not to say that women, especially white women, uh, shouldn't be asked these questions ever, ever, ever. It's just that I don't see when we when we when iconic male actors of a of a certain age are interviewed i don't see them being asked this this there are peers of angelica houston and roman polanski and harvey weinstein and jack nicholson who have never been accused of anything and are working and probably were in these rooms and have done something and know something or or were the guy the the other guy bragged to afterwards so just uh, uh let's just uh ask the fellas and also women do better and you know come up uh, think about these answers ahead of time i bet in the 70s you didn't have to think about answers ahead of time <laughs> <laughs> getting back on track now i like that karen's ambition is more outward now and is not just the thing we see like behind closed doors so much i like that Karen's like, oh, what? The star's not here. How interesting. Yes. <laughs> this is a very strong week for Karen. Yeah. Karen gets lots of gold stars this week. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So, basically, the rehearsal um, gets put on pause because the star isn't there and all the investors 
um, leave to go about their day, and then we go and see what Dev is up to. And like as we've already established, we don't need Dev to have plot lines, but we see him in his palatial office in City yeah. Hall, uh, which is just fun to look at, even though it's not realistic. But that's one of those things that's fun to complain about. And he is just there at his desk, being all frustrated and crumpling up papers. Um, and RJ comes in, and RJ doesn't work there she is a reporter for she's a reporter okay so she would have access like to rome and okay yeah and i guess i'm just pointing out that she doesn't work there like she's not a co-worker this isn't just like hey i heard you kicking your trash can (laughs) no yeah this is like i heard and came over but i guess how are you dev yeah and she touches his hand, be yeah. like, I mean, I'm she's sorry. She, she's I heard, totally into him. Yeah, what? I heard that creepy dude got the job instead of you. What does Karen think? You know what? This uh, RJ is acting towards Dev the way that Karen is acting towards there being a missing person in the role of Marilyn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? No one's there? Could I do the thing? <laughs> Good call, yes. Then we go back to the rehearsal room, and Derek is saying to Eileen, I can't lose a day. And so they decide, much to Karen's delight, to let Karen understudy for the day. We also find out that Rebecca Duvall is um, off on a goodwill trip in Cuba with Sean Penn, and the way Julia via Deborah Messing says it is so funny to me. Like, Mm -hmm. I just... I was very medicated, but I was just laughing. It just said with such disdain, and I love it. Yeah, yes, there, were, there was definitely like an eye roll in her tone. Yes, yeah. Because Sean Penn is also the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, it was a classic movie star reason to be to be late for something. Um, oh, but wait, no, we have to stay on the Karen becomes understudy moment because like the best lines of dialogue in the entire episode happen. Okay, Bobby. My favorite person in the entire world, Wesley Taylor, <laughs> says she is never going to be able to hack it. And then Tony Award winner Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam says, especially after Ivy breaks her kneecaps. That was great. It was so good. We got lots of good lines from the whole gang this yes, week. Yes, we sure did. Yeah. So, um, and then speaking of Ivy, cut to <gasps> Ivy in her apartment. Um, she and Sam are commiserating, I guess, after he has finished with rehearsal. And Ivy has been spending her time, now that she's unemployed, drawing, like, mustaches and, and with a Sharpie on top of pictures of Julia, of, I'm sorry, of Rebecca Duval in magazines. Uh, and it's funny. And Sam thinks it's funny. And then later when Derek shows up, he thinks it's funny. Yes. And Derek just breezes into the apartment. He's got his own key. They're very domestic and just Mm -hmm. saying hey to Sam as he comes in. And I also established that Ivy is unhirable right now. Yes. Ivy's like not mad at Derek at all that she's like not in, like she wasn't even asked, I guess, to be in the ensemble. Well, well, Derek said, you know, I couldn't even get you in for the ensemble because Mm -hmm. she is her, she is so persona non grata in the Broadway community right now. Yes. Because... Not only did she, you know, get drunk and go on stage and slip around. Uh, She had a reaction to her medication (laughs) at work. She was dehydrated, had exhaustion. (laughs) I got very upset 
oh, during oh. the scene because this was like such a like a, like this was such a like a like it was such like a sensitive subject for me because it's like I know what it's like to have like a negative reaction to medication or to have like an, a bad interaction maybe between two things. Yes, well, I think I think we have well established in the show though that I, Ivy is not using her medication as prescribed by a doctor okay. and that she was completely using the medication to you know numb herself maybe, numb herself feel get something high, different. whatever okay. so all right i yeah. guess i again it's close to home it's sensitive i i just don't i don't know i it was never established for me but if we think, I also know that throughout this podcast, we've also been like, this is how we interpret it. But we also understand how, like, we think the show wants us to think this. So, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. But I, I think, <laughs> yeah. So poor Ivy, she she just can't get hired anywhere. But as after Derek has said this, you can start to see the wheels clicking in her little showgirl mind so but then we go to eileen's office and get to hear eileen talking in spanish it's so great it is it is about as good as former new york mayor mike bloomberg speaks spanish i loved it when bloomberg would speak spanish it was, it, it, it's one of my favorite things in the world mm-hmm. it is fantastic mm-hmm. i love it yeah <laughs> Oh my God, Bloomberg doing like his press conferences and stuff in Spanish. It was the best because, and you know, he was trying and he just, he just spoke it with like his, you know, his high school Spanish, you know, intonation. It was great. No accent. Like, I mean, his accent, like, you know, (laughs) like his accent was there, but not a Spanish accent. So I think it's like cuatro centrados por los book of Mormon. It was so great. And that was like the only part that I was able to get without any i didn't google i didn't google translate any of it because i wanted to see how much i could <laughs> pick up and yes that was the part i got that she is trading she's well, getting she, somebody four tickets to book of mormon because she is on the phones trying to you know talking to cuba or presumably <laughs> trying to get rebecca to fall home she's working the back channels oh. and then we go back to dev's office and karen has come downtown to Karen is has had such a great day. She starts making out with Dev in his office, which doesn't have a door because he just has a gorgeous. Maybe he does have a door, but he just has like this. It, his office is like this, like kind of wooden gothic. Like his office, his office is like a cathedral. It is so huge. It's enormous, and it, and it does have a lot of like you know beautiful wood in it. But anyway, so Karen comes in, and then the creepy guy who got the job that Dev wanted interrupts them paul right that sounds right we'll go with that yeah and yeah and that annoyed me because why doesn't dev just tell her good news and bad news can indeed happen at the same time but we will you know we'll talk about this more later on but i think dev i i I read uh, slate.com and they have like a thing like who is the worst person in westeros this week (laughs) i think dev is the worst person in smash this week i think dev is way worse than Derek this week i hate dev yeah because okay oh yes dev is the worst this week and his talks you know his fragile little masculine ego for whatever reason cannot just he cannot be open and honest with his girlfriend and say hey by the way uh that promotion I've been talking about for months, I didn't get it. Yeah. He has opportunity after opportunity, and yeah. he does not. Um, oh, so then we see... Uh, 
Sam and Tom, they, they're having a friend date to talk about Ivy. Yeah. I'd be like, oh my God, can you believe Derek has a key to her apartment? Ugh. Yeah. And then we see Lawyer John is trailing behind them. This is actually a date of Tom and Lawyer John. Yeah. But- I actually had to like... I actually had to rewind the scene like 20 seconds because I was like, wait, where did John come from? But he was there the whole time being ignored. Yeah. But yes, and oh, because John, lawyer John and Tom are on their way to see a musical. This was a fake musical, I believe, I assume. I hope so, because Tom <laughs> wants to see it, So because he, he wants to hate watch it. Yes, but I, I took note of the, the all the signage about, you know, about the fake musical. So first of all, it was called End of Days, okay. and that was a pun because Days was spelled D-A-Z-E. But one of the things I noticed was, like, they had, a, like, a pull quote on a poster saying, Jesse Mueller is remarkable. <gasps> ah! Star is born. And so that got me thinking, like, t- chronologically, where were we in the in the rise of Jesse Mueller? Yeah. And so, so I looked it up. Okay. So this was 2012. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, which I thought of as Jesse Mueller's, like, big, like, breakout mm-hmm. thing, uh, was not until 2014. And then, um, so, but in 2011, 2012, she was doing On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, and she did get a Tony nomination for that. So I think this was a, a cute little inside baseball thing at the time. Okay, cool. And even as I say that, I guess to most of America, Jesse Mueller is still pretty inside baseball, but <laughs> I figured... That's so funny. She's yeah. a huge, huge Broadway star. <laughs> yes. And, okay, so she... Uh, she won, a, I believe she won a Tony for Beautiful, which mm-hmm. is the Carol King musical. And that she's been, like, nominated, like, 18 uh, times since. Yes. You know? And she also originated uh, the the lead role in the musical of Waitress, <gasps> which Catherine McPhee is op- opened on the West End in London. Yes. So everything ties together, reality and fiction merging in a glorious stew and we saw her in carousel yes and (laughs) i was we were whelmed yes we were whelmed and you know but as tina as you very rightly pointed out like so carrie carrie's the name of the uh no carrie's actually the supporting okay um that is um oh my god billy bigelow this is my favorite musical. I know. That's why. This this goes to show how secure you are. Because <laughs> I know you know this musical backwards and forwards. Julie Jordan. Julie Jordan. Julie Jordan and Billy Bigelow. Yes. So as Tina, as you pointed out when we saw it, um, Julie Jordan, the lead of the show, does not have a single solo song. Yes. To, to quibble, she's the female lead. The, the lead the female is, Bill, is, is Billy Bigelow. Yes, yes. The, sh- the show belongs to Billy Bigelow in dancing. Mm-hmm. But, um, oh. I just, love that show so Yeah, much. I know. It's, just as a side note, like, I think the reason Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals have, like, such staying power is because they are all so dark and twisted at their core. I love it. That, like... It's like a fairy tale. Yes. It's, like, so messed up when you get down into it's it. It's so messed up, and it shouldn't work, and that's why it does. Ugh. And that well, is the story of Carousel. <laughs> yeah, there two kinds of musicals we'll always endure. Musicals that are secretly about Nazis, and, um, you know, musicals about domestic violence and, and beautiful, beautiful staging. <laughs> 
Because Oklahoma, even as a kid, when I watch Oklahoma, I'm like, this shit is dark. Because they taunt Judd for no reason and like are like, oh, yeah, I bet if you go ask her a dance, she'll dance with you. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, and then there's the whole ballet number thing, and I don't think I don't think that lead couple in uh, Oklahoma. I really don't think they're going to work it, work out mm. in the long run. But okay, tangent, tangent, tangent. So anyway, so John and Tom are going to see this musical, and Sam is saying, "I heard it's like terrible," and Tom's like, "Oh, good. That's why I want to see it." Yeah, and John like can smell what the Rock is cooking. Yes, like he can. He he knows. Yeah, he knows. He's like he knows that their relationship. Is at the end of days. Uh, bum, bum, bum. Yeah. But meanwhile, Tom and Sam are completely in sync because John says, well, why are we seeing it if it's so bad? And they respond in unison, because it's a train wreck. Oh. <laughs> uh, and I would just want to say, though, like, I, I never want to see a bad play. No. Ever. Like, a bad movie, yes. But, like, if you're watching a bad, you know, piece of theater, the those people are right in front of you. You can't laugh inappropriately. No. They're right there. So, yeah, I never want to schlep out of my house never. and see bad theater. But I guess, Maybe you know, Tom and Sam do. That's, yeah. Because you've schlepped out of your house. You're sitting in uncomfortable seats like little sardines in a can. I want it to be amazing. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So then we go to Julia's house, and Julia is there with Leo, and and she's asking Leo all sorts of like probing questions, and she wants to know, like, are you seeing your father? Have you talked to your father? Did your dad talk about me? Does he like me? You know? <laughs> um, because Frank is not back, and which is will obnoxious. Not talk to Julia. I mean, well, I understand I, why. Yes, but like she's putting Leo in a tough spot, and then. Leo says something that I have an opinion about. Leo says, like, he told me not to tell you. And I think it is incredibly inappropriate for a parent to tell a minor child to be keeping secrets from the other parent. Well, yeah, but I think Julia... I think Julia is behaving badly across the board this episode. And in a way, I think that's a triumph, you know, because, like, she's behaving badly. She's doing all the things in the way she should not do them. Um, And because, but, you know, because she's our protagonist, like, Mm -hmm. we're letting her. But, like, I like that, you know, we are, that she does not have to be perfect. Oh, yeah, I'm fine with that. I I just, I, I hate that Frank is telling Leo to keep secrets from his... Well, I think mother, like it, it, it is not okay. It is, it is not okay. Well, I think Julia to say like, oh, here's a number where I can be reached. Don't tell your mother. Or here's where I'm staying. Don't tell your mother. You you don't get to have secrets like that when when you are co-parenting a child. And I get that he's like a grown up kid, but if. Leo was in the hospital or something or something, you know, like, but the point is that Frank should not be telling Leo, don't tell your mother you talk to me. Like, cause that's, that's all she's asking. She's not even asking like, where is your father? What hotel is he staying at? Or she's not, that's not what she's asking Leo. She's just asked Leo, have you spoken to him? Well, 
I, I, I think she is putting Leo in the middle as much oh, as Frank is. So. She is. I just don't. Uh, yes. She, no. I, she shouldn't I, be asking. They're these, equally culpable. Yes. They're both being. I just bad want to say parents. that you shouldn't tell your kid to keep a secret from an, the other parent. That's and, all. And you shouldn't steal your kid's cell phone. Yes, that was a huge <laughs> invasion of privacy. Yeah. That's so. awful. That's awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so yes, things not well in Julia's house. Uh, mm-hmm. So then we, uh, it's the next day, and <laughs> we're, you know, we're in this shot across the street, and we see all the gang going, gathering yeah. outside the rehearsal building. And then, oh, whose point of view are we seeing? We're seeing Ivy's point of view, <laughs> because she's unemployed, and she has nothing else to do, so she is, like, hiding behind a car <laughs> and watching wistfully as all of her friends... Go to work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, we get this very Stella Dallas moment where she's just gazing across the street, you know, but it's like she's a thousand miles away it's from them. so wacky because also it's like, doesn't, like, I, like Ivy's an actor. Half her friends are unemployed at any given moment. She's got plenty of other people to hang out with, you yeah. know. But, and then we burst into a music video, and I think as we've established, you know, I do not want music videos in my smash musical theater television no, show. No, there's enough organic reasons to have it. But, you know, but we burst into this mu- music video and Ivy wears some great costumes she in it. does. She, we're reminded how good she looks, like, when she's all Maryland up. Yeah, and so we have, like, the classic music video thing of her. Well, first we see her putting on some stockings, rolling some stockings up her legs, mm-hmm. and, you know, and attaching them to her, like, sexy little black, like, underclothing, and that's great, and then she puts a tight little form-fitting red dress on on top of it, and then she's singing in front of, like, a wall of light bulbs, mm-hmm. and then we go on this fantasy trip where, you know, she's dressing up as Marilyn, and, you know, she imagines herself going into the rehearsal studio all dressed up as Marilyn, and everyone bursts into applause and is smiling, and I really could have done without all of it. Also, like, isn't, she's, she's singing the song Breakaway by Kelly Clarkson, and, like, isn't this, like, a breakup song, sort of, like, it's like, I'll, or... Yeah, because she's saying, it's what's the chorus? It's like, I'll spread my wings and I'll learn how to fly. When I touch the sky, take a wink, make a chance, and I'll break away. Um, is this, no, or maybe it's not like a breakup with like a person, but it's like, a, it's like I'm going to get out of this bad situation. It's not a, like, I'm going to get back what I want sort of a song. I don't know. Maybe it's just like I didn't think the song to like fit. Yeah, this. So anyway, that's two minutes of our lives. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then we're back in uh, the rehearsal room. And it's infuriating because Karen knows shit about being in a play. <laughs> Karen yeah. doesn't know rudimentary stage directions. She does that obnoxious thing that like all shows about shows do where somebody doesn't know what upstage and downstage means. And I... <sighs> I'm going to give Karen more credit than that. So, okay, so Karen is still doing the understudy thing because Rebecca Duval is still stuck in Cuba because her assistant is Cuban, and so she, so they're having trouble getting the assistant out of the country in addition to Rebecca. Um, so And so Derek is very angry, and... Yes, he does yell, and he yells at Karen about blocking. I don't. I think Karen knows the difference between upstage and downstage. Okay. I think she, you know, turned 
she went upstage instead of downstage because who knows how many times they've done this in a row now and how many different ways that Derek has had her gone. But obviously she went the way he didn't want her to go and he blows up and has a whole little thing. And why isn't there a pencil behind her ear? Okay. So yes. So, and then he, you know, he really, he really loses his shit when she doesn't have a pencil to write down the blocking, (laughs) which is unforgivable. (laughs) She needs one of those, like, those, like, um, what's her face? Joan. Oh, yes. From Mad Men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, you know, I'd like, I would, I would give Karen the benefit of the doubt in this in terms of like that. She has a pencil. And she put it down at some point, sure. and she does not have it in her hand at this moment. Why don't they make stuff like that for actors? That's, like, such a great idea. It's a, oh, wait, I, I shouldn't be giving away free ideas like this. Come on, this could be our next, we're going to make a million dollars plan. We should make, like, little cute necklaces where actors can put their pencil. Yeah, that's a... We're going to make a million dollars. That's a million dollar But idea. also, it's, it's a thing that, like, supportive boyfriends could buy. <laughs> Or like aunts and uncles who don't know what to get you for Christmas when you're like 17. Sterling silver golf pencil. (laughs) There we go. Yeah. That's something Emily Gilmore would definitely buy for someone. Yes. Yeah. So, um. Roy, you're doing a play. (laughs) Okay. And then Jessica, ensemble member Jessica is, is kind of a trash friend here because she participates in a bet. I love that Bobby wants to bet against Karen that so, Karen's going to cry yes. or be fired, and that's that's so in Bobby's brand. But that's kind of trashy to be a friend and like be like, no, I'll take that bet, but I'm on her side. Yes, but I think you know. So all the ensemble kids are you know hanging around watching all this happen. But I, I think this is maybe part of the thing too of like. Right now, Karen isn't one of <gasps> isn't one of them. She's the star right now. She's not fair a fellow ensemble enough. member. Yeah, fair enough. Just like Ivy, you know, there was that kind of invisible line at one point. Yes, okay. And okay. you know what? You get to I'll, gossip I'll, about the star. You do. I'm I I'm gonna let it go. Yeah. And so then, meanwhile, Tom and Julia are doing an interview with, with a sweet little kid from NYU who is interviewing them for his school paper or whatever oh, wait what's i'm trying to remember the washington square news that's Aww. the name of the paper <laughs> yay and so and julia is being curt at best yes at best julia um so the the little kid is asking not little kid <laughs> he's like he's like older than leo yes the sweet young man, sweet young man, is uh, sweet saying, summer child <laughs> is saying, "I've read in the Wikipedia in your Wikipedia entry that you know on your anniversary of becoming collaborators, you always go and see a production of your first show ever together. Is that true?" And Julia's like, "Well, didn't it say so on Wikipedia?" Or, you know, yeah. but like, but then he gets way inappropriate, and he's oh, and I I wanted to punch the kid. Because uh, I'm very angry about lots of things in this episode. <laughs> I'm not... Yes. What did he do that was punch-worthy? Okay, because then he says, Julia, does your husband get jealous that he has to share you? And that's an inappropriate question. That's an inappropriate question. Okay, yes. Fine, that is an inappropriate question. You are correct. But, um, yeah, 
you know, I know, like, as writers, they just wanted to get the word husband in there, yes. because anytime the word, anyone says the word husband in this episode, Julia just loses her shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what she does here. She's kind of like, oh, are we done? Great. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Because, um... But I did love how the kid reminded me, the, the sweet young man, reminded me of Kermit the Frog at one point <laughs> in Muppets Take Manhattan. <laughs> uh, because he has this line about, Tom, Julia, the town is buzzing <laughs> over bombshell. <laughs> and it reminded me of Muppets Take Manhattan where Kermit the Frog is sitting at Sardi's being like, Sacco, Bafo. <laughs> I love that scene so much. Yeah. So that gave me a chuckle. That's terrific. Yeah. And then we go to Karen's apartment where Dev continues to be the ever-loving worst. So This is the scene. Oh, my God. That made me irate, and I had to walk away. We got, like, three seconds into the scene, and I wanted to throttle him. Because basically, Karen is talking about what a hard day she had, because Derek was so, you know angry and unreasonable and like he's like and they yelled at me about the pencil and dev fucking dev the fucking worst worse than derek is like well next time don't forget your pencil and not helpful dev not helpful yeah and then karen uses this moment whether i and and i get and then probably this was like a, a subconscious choice for the character to do this, but she, she, the character takes this moment to mention that Derek once sexually harassed her. Actually, he's done it more than once, technically, but like the, she, the, she, this is where Karen tells, reveals to Dev that Derek sexually harassed her, like in between her audition and callback. And Dev makes it entirely about himself he sure does he is yelling at her he's he 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 tells her that she lied to him um i he is 100 percent 100 percent making about him he is angry at her not for her yep he it's it's awful it was it's it's an absolutely disturbing moment and it really upset me so much I, i did have to get up and like walk away um, and I, before I, because at some point I'm probably going to go into like a, a lengthy rant or something. So I just want to say, though, that Karen had a really, really great storm off line yes. where she says, yell at somebody else, Dev, and slams the door. Yeah. Things, which is great. And like, I will say, like, Karen was such a strong woman this week. And like, she really did not take any crap from Dev. <sighs> You know, but and she stood up for for herself like multiple times across the course of the episode, where she's like, where she's like, I don't deserve this. I'm not going to take it. I'm leaving. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of hate, and I, I I'm not like upset like you for saying this because it's like everybody says this, but like I hate the strong woman trope, and it's something that's uh, particularly used against um, like black women in media. Like we see, like so much in media, we see like black women being uh, cheated on, you know, raped, exploited, abused, and then like, and they they live through it, or they say something scathing in response, and you know, um, and because of that, like strong woman, what a strong woman, what a strong female character, that like someone was horrible to her, that she was victimized again, and like she weathered through it and because uh, i i don't 
I don't know that that's strength. I, th- I think that's just having not broken yet. Well, I think I think it's worth ign- recognizing any time like a female character recognize you know herself recognizes you are treating me poorly yeah. or unfairly, and I'm going to call that out. Yeah. No. Yes. And th- it's great that she does that it's great i mean i wish the next time we saw the two of them it wasn't like in bed like granted their backs are to each other but like she like they they you know she came back home and like slept in the same bed as him and like his shirt is off like and you know and it's and i, and I didn't get the implication that they like oh no like nothing you know, sexual was yeah. happening in that apartment but like yeah but it's it's like he didn't really um there wasn't like a serious consequence or anything for his actions. I, so I, you know, so I, this is, well, uh, when a couple has a fight, yeah. like, you know, most of the time you have to, at the end of the day, Come sleep in the home. same place because that's where you both live. I, so, yeah, I'm, I, I not, yes, and I get that. And it's in New York City, even though they have an unrealistic apartment, like, <laughs> like there's only so many spaces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, there's, there's, so what, what Dev did in, in that moment though, is just, it's so much more than a couple fight. It's, um, it's re-victimization. Um, and I knew after watching this scene, just because of how it made me feel, I knew that this was the moment that I was like, okay, what, what would Toronto Burke say? So like I went hunting and I wanted to see like if Toronto Burke had, uh, had, had said something about, had you know talked about like the very real thing that happens often when uh women confess or reveal to their male partner that they had been sexually harassed or assaulted um and and then the the man makes it about himself or he's jealous or it's like well you know well did you like it or what did you do to bring it you know like men how men make it about themselves and i didn't find um at least in like text-based format, because I haven't yet. Toronto Brook certainly has like given speeches that haven't been like um, transcribed. Trans- Thank you, transcribed. Yes, um, but what I did get was I kind of went down the rabbit hole of of research, and I kind of um, I found something really interesting. So. Um, in lieu of a quote from Toronto Burke herself, I'm going to read a quote from the social psychologist Melvin J. Lerner. And he is um, significant because um, his, he, he's still alive and uh, he has done um, numerous, numerous um, studies on victim blaming. And his work is often referenced when people are talking about how people treat survivors of sexual assault. Um, And uh, his 1980 book is where we get the phrase, a belief in a just world, which other social psychologists have abbreviated down to BJW, as opposed to a social justice warrior, SJW, but a BJW. And so uh, if you, if you actually do any like, research on victim blaming you're going to get the well but, you know oh, yeah yeah you, you so bjw okay. BJW. So, but, okay so i'm sorry okay so bjw is belief, belief in a just in a just world um and which was 
building, um, oh, the, sorry. So the title of his 1980 book is Belief in a Just World, the Fundamental Delusion. And this was building off of the just world hypothesis, which had been uh, around for a little bit in social psychology, that people basically need to believe in a, that the world is fair, and so they will do extraordinary leaps in their mind to justify why something happened so that they keep, keep believing that the world is fair. And so he writes in that book, if we assume then that the awareness of another person's suffering typically elicits suffering in the observer, we can see the mechanisms that people use to cope with this experience. In some case, we try to help the victim and eliminate the suffering, but even while doing that, we may change our view of the victim, either to eliminate our awareness of his suffering or to persuade ourselves that he really is not suffering at all, or that he is the kind of person who brings suffering upon himself, or that he is somewhat less than human. Yeah, his, his writing is really interesting. I do want to do a trigger warning for anyone who looks this up, and of course, as always, I'll put the link to... Um, this book, this book, um, you can read th this whole section on Google Books. Um, but I just want to do a trigger warning that he is the type of white academic who freely uses the N word. So Melvin J. Lerner said some stuff, and I'm just finding the thread. Well, our next scene is Eileen's office. <laughs> <laughs> and the investors are nervous because um, they there's no star, and the show is like now resting on a star. And, and we've learned the price of the show. They say $7 million. All right. And one interesting thing is uh, Ralph, the guy with the glasses, mm -hmm. is not one of the producers, I guess, who's chosen to invest in the show. Yeah. No more Ralph. Aww. But so the three, you know, so Eileen is meeting with th three of the producers and they have a lot of demands and basically they want to see the star. They want to talk to the star. And before they actually write any checks, this stuff better happen. Otherwise, she's not getting their money. Mm -hmm. um, so then we go down to the bar, Nick's bar, and Eileen is kind of nursing her sorrows there and telling Nick her woes. And all of a sudden, Nick is like... I can help you, and pulls out a giant stack of cash, like a cube of cash. And that's one way to whip it out. Yeah. And Eileen is like, oh, well, this is very sweet. You know, you don't have to have like a couple hundred more cubes of money like this. And he's like, well, I've got friends. And then they do a lot of eyebrow flirting. Yes. <laughs> yes, I, indeed. I like Nick's first line in this scene where he says, Two martinis, and you haven't flirted with me once. Yeah. Oh. So they're, they're sweet little... God, he's an attractive man. <laughs> he is an attractive man. So their romance is still simmering. Mm -hmm. um, then we go to Derek's apartment. Hello, Ivy. Yes, I, Ivy is in a, you know... A negligee. A negligee, <laughs> a cute little black negligee, similar but not identical to the one she wore in her fantasy... Music, music video number, um, and she and Derek are in bed, and he is working. He has a big binder full of papers, and they're talking about the show. And Ivy is being very sweet to Derek, and also giving him some very helpful advice 
uh, about the sh- about working on the show. Because Derek thinks Karen is crap now. He doesn't. She's terrible. She doesn't know what she's doing. And Ivy, Ivy is like, well, hey, the only directors who uh, were able to get anything out of Marilyn were the ones that babied her, and maybe you should try to change your approach and not be so abrasive. And we're like, Karen defending, wait, sorry, Ivy defending Karen? What's going on? Oh, and Ivy also gets to display her encyclopedic knowledge of Marilyn and her times because uh, Derek is saying they're, they're, gonna have, they're finding non-Maryland stuff to work on and that they've thought of this number that they could do with Daryl Zanuck. And she's like, oh, yes, he always had all of his executives like meet him in the steam room, and that's where they had all of their meetings or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then, meanwhile, we go to... And then they, they start to canoodle, and then we see a quick shot of Karen and Dev where there is no canoodling nope. happen. They are lying in bed lying awake not talking to each other and then we're back in the rehearsal room the next day for that daryl zanuck number and this where is- even though they just explained that it was at, at ivy's apartment that this was going to be in a steam room they then explain again that there's towels because it's in a steam room which really bothered me <laughs> i know i i i don't know if that would so, something about that line stood out to me so much, like the way it was said or whatever, because also it's the first line that Josh, the real life choreographer, has had in many episodes mm-hmm. where he's like, oh, Derek, uh, we added we added towels to help sell the fact that it's in a steam room. And Derek just looks at him and says, OK, <laughs> I don't know if that was like the network bro being maybe that was the network bro. Yeah. So asking, like, why are they wearing towels, dude? And and so then we've got all of the ensemble boys, you know, with towels wrapped around their waist. Sadly, missed opportunity. We never go into like fantasy musical number mode, right? So we could have seen them shirtless with just their towels. We yeah. just, but we can imagine. Yeah. So, but I will say, I think that was a missed opportunity mm-hmm. <laughs> amongst all the lingerie this week. Like, you know, if the network bro really wanted to get to his target audience for this show, yeah, we would have seen them. Yeah, and just the towels. We know those dancer boys have so many bodies. abs, yeah. so many pecs. Um, so then the number starts, and guess who's going to play Zanuck? It's Tom. This is one of my favorite conventions in movie musicals, where the writer of the show, you know, they're like, "Come on, you got to be in the show too. Uh, we can't do it without you." Because the actor who, who I guess is playing the Zanuck role is unavailable today for some reason. And then we get this number, and I love it so much. This it's is so good. This is tied as my very favorite smash number. <gasps> I love it. I love so first of all we get the the ensemble uh guys dancing and singing before zanuck comes in kind of laying the groundwork of what's happening um and they have like all this all this very like west side story choreography like where their shoulders go up and their hands go oh it's great um and then Tom as Daryl Zanuck bursts into the room and he's doing speaking talking, which I mean speaking singing, talk sing, talk singing. Yeah, Rex Harrison. Rex yeah. Harrison, which I love. I love it. Yes, it's so good, and it's such a like it it in in a real musical. This would be such a star moment. This would be where um, Jerry Orbach. Or, you know, Joel Grey, or, um, like, just one of, 
like somebody who had been a leading man in a previous generation would come in for his big supporting role number and there's like a standing ovation as soon as he enters so like they yeah. it's it's so it's so believable yeah. as like an entrance number for a big deal person mm-hmm. so the music is super catchy the lyrics are very witty and fun and uh catchy and i love that they also use like all the old-timey language mm-hmm. like daryl zanuck is calling girls tomatoes mm-hmm. and talking about bazooms and um the 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 chorus line of course or the repeated line is don't say yes until i finish talking so good uh, it's but it's also song. great because it is exactly what a musical number should be in terms of where the character has reached such a high pitch of emotion that they can't talk anymore Mm -hmm. they have to sing that is definitely what is happening with Zanuck because he is so frustrated and angry and Mm -hmm. just raring to go and also because not only is it just giving us fun for our eyeballs and for our ears but it's moving the story forward yes because he's talking about like you know I've you know, I've, I'm so sick of this girl and all of her drama, and these are, these are the things that I'm going to do. We are moving the story forward. It's great. I want, I want to see the musical that this number is in. I don't know if I want to see Bombshell, but I want to see the musical that this number is in. Oh, and then we have a fun little... Um, you know, we have some fun directing moments in it, too, in terms of at the end... Uh, Zanuck throws off his towel and it's being thrown at the camera and that's great and then we see it's actually being thrown in Derek's face. <laughs> oh. and, like, and Derek and Tom are sort of playful at that moment which is nice because they've had their big yelly moment with each yes. other already so they can kind of like josh with each other yes and then this number this musical number was so damn good that its magical powers have put Derek in a good mood yes and the combination of that this number and ivy's advice last night um have made Derek a kinder gentler human Mm -hmm. and he uh goes over to ivy and says not ivy to karen and says, all right, let's try this again, and here's what we're going to do after lunch, and uh, this is what I need from you, and actually behaves like a good director and yes. decent human being. Yes. And then... Um, and can we just shout out Anne Harada? Because she's so great. She, her face acting is fantastic, because she... Her face is just like, what the fuck? Who is this Derek person? <laughs> like, she's really you know confused by all and i i i like it because the the ensemble are also reacting and i i like it because it works both as like wow derek is certainly acting uncharacteristically nice but it also works as uh oh derek's going in trying to snare himself another marilyn yeah and we should maybe mention Anne harada is playing linda, oh, linda the stage, the stage manager. manager yes, yes. yeah who we've seen for many episodes now, and uh, she's kind of the one always being like, okay, back in five. We or- love Anne Harada. And so Ruth and I actually like off, off uh, microphone talk about her. So <laughs> <laughs> we realize that some of you may need a refresher on who Anne Harada is. Yes. And so then, um, you know, everyone is kind of chatting, you know, um, as they're breaking for lunch, and Tom and Sam are, are, are laughing together, and be like, oh my god, did Derek get a personality transplant? Ha ha ha! And who should see them? Oh, my dog is barking. That's okay. Yeah. Dogs bark on podcasts. Yes. Part of the charm. 
All right. So, um, so who should see Sam and Tom having another enjoyable moment together? But Lawyer uh, John, who's come here with, with a coffee to see Tom, but he just looks in and he sees what's happening. Aww. Lawyer John has the highest emotional intelligence of anyone on the yeah. show. Yeah. So I also wrote all, but that's what you get for being a Republican. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And then we get to go see the high school musical. And I'm reminded of how much high school musicals rule. And yes. They're super fun. And I just saw one recently and they're really delightful. <laughs> so, yes, we see um, Tom and Julia have found some uh, someplace, someplace local, conveniently, <laughs> doing uh, their first musical together, which is called Three on a Match, which seems to be some sort of World War Two era. Would you say it's a musical that's actually about Nazis? It may be, it might be about Nazis. <laughs> we see an Eiffel Tower, so it seems to be set in Paris, and yeah, so we see like you know fresh-faced little high school kids <gasps> Maybe wearing. It's a musical based on Allo Allo. Have you seen that? Do you no. know that show? <gasps> oh, I'm gonna put that at top of the list. I have the first season oh. on DVD. Okay, yeah. It's delightful. Is it about show business or is it about World War Two? What is it, it about? It, it is a a, a BBC comedy about <laughs> about the French Revolution during Nazi <laughs> When you say the French Revolution, I think of 1790s. Oh, so shoot. Let's, I'm you mean using, the resistance. You know what? The French resistance. Okay, that makes more sense. Okay. Ha. Yes. The ha. French resistance. Uh, you know what's funny is unlike Ivy, I'm totally unmedicated right now because I can't drive. <laughs> you live like 45 minutes from me, so... <laughs> So, um, yes, you are medication-free. Yes. I'm medication-free. Yeah. I'm just uh, recovering from a uh, migraine. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, no, no. It's, uh, it's, yes, it's about the French resistance, and it's super, super, super funny. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, and I think Three on a Match is also about, about the French resistance. Yeah, it seems very... It seems to be in Paris, but kind of Casablanca-esque yeah. in terms of there's some sort of love triangle. Yeah, and the third one totally died. Oh, yeah. That's clear. Yeah, there was three on the match. And, and now there's just two. And the closing number. So, <sighs> all right. So then after the big closing number, Tom comes up on stage to give a speech because he has a surprise for Julia. Um, and he's giving this very heartfelt speech and and she gets up and walks out because... Because he again said, like, I'm your show husband or yes. something like that. And I have to say that I was... I was so angry at Tom, and you know, until the parking lot scene where, like, she apologizes because she, I didn't realize, I had forgotten that she hadn't told Tom yet. Okay. Which is like, See, I would never go that long without telling you that my husband left me. Well, like, yeah, I think that was, well, I mean, she explains it, but like, so, yeah. so she leaves and then they have this talk in the parking lot afterwards. Um, but... Yeah, she she hadn't told him. She had been holding it in all this time, and I I remembered that. So that I think maybe her behavior yeah. towards Tom made more sense to me in terms of it, it, admitting it to Tom, as mm-hmm. she says, it, it, it would make it real, and she didn't want it to be real. Huh. So the only person who knew was Leo, because obviously <laughs> she couldn't help but. <laughs> That's who you keep affairs between. <laughs> <laughs> you and your son, goddammit. Yes. Well, there's um, also somewhere in there, too, there's like a really quick 
scene where um, bartender Nick brings Eileen to meet his rock star friend. Randy Cobra! Which is a hilarious name. And I had forgotten that he is played by one of my all-time crushes, Terrence Mann. I... I have, I have thoughts about Terrence Mann <laughs> that cannot be discussed at this time. I love are, him. I are they him. bedtime thoughts? They're bedtime <laughs> thoughts. Like I remember staring at the 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 vinyl, my vinyl copy of the Cats cast recording, and just like because he played Rum Tum Tugger. <laughs> and just like, I have never seen or listened to Cats. I Cats was my first Broadway musical. Oh my. <laughs> And I had, I knew the show. So it was an awakening on many levels. It was, it was like, I knew I was at least partially occasionally attracted to men at that point. Like I knew they weren't off the table (laughs) completely. Um, I, and I saw Terrence Mann play Frankenfurter three times. I did look at Terrence Mann's Wikipedia just to get a sense of his whole like Broadway Thing. He played the Beast, which I did not see, but I imagine is also highly yeah. erotic. Yes, but like when I saw that uh, the the Rocky Horror, I'm like, I bet you Tuna saw him <laughs> when he was Frankenfurter on Rocky Horror. Yes. Um, but he was the original Broadway Javert. Yes, he was. I had forgotten about that too. Yeah. So, and um, he's one of those people who could. He, he is also in this Netflix show called Sense Eight, which is a collaboration oh. between J. Michael Straczynski of Babylon Five fame and the Wachowski siblings. Okay. Um, and I love it. I can't really like wholeheartedly recommend it to people because, like, I I will call the show a beautiful mess. And I love it. And like what some of the things, <laughs> even to try to summarize, I, I'm going to try to summarize Sense8 and bear with me here. So the, the premise of Sense8 is that there are normal human beings and then that there are also human beings who have this, I guess, kind of superhero capability and they are called Sense8s. Um, and what is a Sense8's superpower is that um they are connected to um seven other people so eight people total um who were born at the exact you know at the exact same time as them somewhere in the world someone else who has this innate capability so um so they can they can feel what these other people are feeling they can see what these other people are seeing and um they can kind of uh, impart skills to each other, like you know, they can kind of take over each other's bodies, um, and and that's the premise of the show is that there are these kind of, and and also there's an evil organization hunting down sensates because that's always the case and these kind of things. So the premise of the 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 series is that there is this that this new sensate cluster has been born. So for um, and they're all like. 28. So for a, a, a cluster to be awakened, someone has to do something. In this case, it's Daryl Hannah. You know, some, for a new cluster to be made, like an, an existing sensei, it has to kind of like 
turn on the light switch, essentially. Gotcha. So, so we're following this new cluster who has no idea what the hell is happening to them, but suddenly, like, they're in um, Chennai, India, and they can, they feel snow falling on them because, and they look at their window and they're looking at East Berlin in Germany, and they all think they're losing their minds to start with. But, um, Anyway, so there's an evil organization hunting them down, which they then have to run away from as they're figuring out what is happening to them. Um, and Terrence Mann plays the evil guy in that evil organization. And he looks so different in that part. He really he really transforms. Cool. But I love him as Randy Cobra, like with the, you know, with the pale blue eyes and the white hair. He looks he looks very uh intriguing. I I, I also would like to say that I am in no way attracted to Brandy Cobra. <laughs> like, I, I'm actually, like, concerned that now, because I don't even know if I caught that that was Terrence Mann the first time around, because this is not a character that I remembered at all. I don't even know if he appears in another episode. Maybe one. Yeah. But, um, but he is, oh, in but case it, you didn't it's quite it very a look, clear. though. He is a, a giant of musical theater, of the American Broadway stage. He's mm-hmm. married to Charlotte Damboise. Whose name I can never say. Dem, okay. Dem boys. Dem. Uh, she's, you know, the one who gets Cassie in Every Little Step. They live in New Jersey. In, she plays Cassie in which... Where, okay, in Every Little Step. Okay. The, the documentary. Yes. Charlotte Damboise. Is, I would say Damboise. Okay. Damboise is the one who ultimately gets Cassie. In the production that they're casting at that yes. time? Okay. Okay. All right. And they're married. Yes. Oh, cool. Neato. I love a theater couple. Yeah. Okay. So, but anyway, so... <laughs> so Terrence Mann is Randy Cobra. <sighs> and he is a... He's a mess. And he's apparently loaded. Yeah. He is a musician. He, he clearly... He's like some sort of... What... So, so we see Randy, and he is just kind of like hanging out in this concert hall, and he's all he's got like lots of leather and rings, and he's playing on his guitar, and yeah, like he was somebody who was a deal in the seventies, but it's yeah. not like he was like Mick Jagger, like he's not, he can't still sell out a stadium, but like he but can. I think he's very happy with his life. Though. Oh, yes, and he has a lot of money, and so Nick has brought Eileen to meet him. Um, cause he's basically like, you need 7 million? Sure. For my old pal, Nick, whatevs. Yeah. I don't care if it makes money. I'm like, Randy Cobra. Oh, Randy Cobra. And I'm <laughs> out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun character. Yeah. Um. Who and, I didn't remember. <laughs> and also, um, the whole ensemble gang is at the bar getting drinks. Mm-hmm. And who should join them but Ivy who is being very nice and conciliatory. Toward, she brings Karen a little reconciliation gift. She brings her new sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole gang has a great time together. And then later on, we see Ivy and Karen walking in their in their stomping ground, Times mm-hmm. Square. And uh, Ivy's saying to Karen how great it is that she gets to play the part, you know, this week during rehearsal. And Karen's like, well, I'm just the understudy. And Ivy's like, Karen, you get you make the most of this. Until the star shows up, you are Marilyn and enjoy it and mm-hmm. you know live life to the fullest. And so hey, don't let Derek give you too hard a time. 
Yeah. Who knew it? Ivy had it in her to be so nice. So nice. She's the nicest person But Sam is very suspicious. (laughs) And she's like, quiet, you. I'll talk to you later. Um, Dev is also at a bar with his good pal, RJ. And RJ's like, hey, I may know about a job opening in the White House. If you'd be interested in moving to D.C., if you could do that. And Dev's like, huh. Yeah. So, and we um, we also stopped by Julia's, and Julia is once again pumping Leo for information. Um, and Leo has a great line here. I forget what happens that he to make him say this, but Leo says, I'm not the problem here. And I just really like that line. Yeah. So, because... Um, and then Leo leaves his backpack in the room, and Julia... Steals his cell phone Not cool. out of his backpack because we she knows that Frank is taking Leo's calls, even though he is not taking hers. Um, then we are at Ivy's apartment where Ivy shares with Sam why on earth she's being so darn nice to everyone. Mm-hmm. And her reasoning is because she's like, well, you know... Basically, she wants to ingratiate herself to people and make them realize she is just a nice, sweet, talented person who had a momentary lapse or insta- you know instance of bad luck. And doesn't she deserve a second chance? It makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, so she's a lady with a plan, and she's yeah. acting on it. Um, then we go to Tom's apartment, where Tom and John are reading papers together in the morning. Mm-hmm. And Tom mentions uh, reading about the Knicks. And as we know, Sam loves all sports. Mm-hmm. And Lawyer John, naturally, because of his emotional intelligence, picks up on this and is like, hey, why are you reading the sports? You don't care about sports. And then basically is like, hey, I see what's going on here. Yeah. You light up like a firefly, or what does he say? Yeah, like, yeah. You light up like a candle around Sam, and you never do. You never look at me that way. And Neil Bledsoe, we always call refer to Lawyer John, but you know it's good to say Neil Bledsoe's name every now and again. The actor who plays Lawyer John so well, mm-hmm. see, I, I think he he delivers that so well. He's so good in this scene. Yeah, and this yeah. is probably his final scene. I so. don't think we're going to see him again. So it's good yeah. to go out. But yes, he, had, he has like the most emotional maturity of I anyone on the show him. either. Um, like I would see, like I would see a play with Neil Budzo. In I it. totally like, would that too. Might yeah, be a draw for me. Yeah, but I really love his voice also. Yeah, yeah. So his speaking voice. But um, so basically, Lawyer John is you know kind of states what yeah. he has observed to Tom. Tom and is. is is lying. Too. Yes, that's the thing. And that's he, I think that, and he's a lawyer, so yes. like he can tell when someone's lying. Like if Tom had just been, if Tom had just been like, oh, you know, uh, you know, Sam, you know, my new friend Sam talks about sports constantly, and I'm starting to realize that there's, you know, aspects of, you know, baseball that I might get into. So I'm trying to like kind of get into. It. Like if, if he had just, if he had like answered like, or you know. If you're honestly just friends with somebody, you don't need to lie. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but the fact that he's lying, like, oh, what? I read all sorts of things. Like, that's yeah. that's really the tip-off. Yeah. You know? So, Lawyer John, you know, you know, states his case. Yes. And gives Tom an opportunity to 
refute anything that he says, and Tom cannot do that because Lawyer John has accurately described what is happening, and then Lawyer John just kind of says goodbye and walks out the door. Yeah. What a... What a fancy, mature way to break up with someone. Yeah. But, uh, yes, farewell. Bye. We really liked you, Laura John. You were a good character. You good were job, Neil Bledsoe. Yeah. So, and then we see Julia. Uh, she's at her house, and she is taking the cell phone that she has stolen from her child. <laughs> <laughs> and she is, has called Frank on the phone, and she is talking to him and saying, please, 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 I took Leo's phone, please talk to me. And we don't uh, see or hear Frank, but I think we can assume that he is not saying much on the other end of the line. Mm-hmm. And then we uh, go to Eileen's office, and we kind of get our first significant Ellis sighting of this episode. We've seen him, you know, he's had just a line or two here or there before in the episode. Um, Eileen has asked Ellis to do research on Randy Cobra uh, <laughs> to see kind of if he is as loaded as he says he is. And uh, Ellis has confirmed that he in fact is. And Ellis has gone the extra mile as the little sneaky so-and-so he is and said, I've done research on your friend Nick, too. And Eileen shuts that shit down right quick and says, how dare you investigate my friends? Get that out of here. I don't want to see it. Get rid of it. So she does not find out whatever juicy information Mm -hmm. Ellis has dug up on Nick. But the implication is that, like, Nick's money may not be as clean as Randy Cobra's money. Yeah. Randy Cobra's money is covered in body fluids and cocaine. I was going to say cocaine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, then we go to rehearsal, the rehearsal hall, and Karen and the actor who are playing Arthur Miller are rehearsing the same scene that caused Derek to blow up a day or two ago because Karen didn't have her pencil. So Karen is, you know, saying the lines and listening to the Arthur Miller person say their lines, and she rolls her eyes. And Derek says, like, what? What are you doing? And all of a sudden... Instead of talking to Karen and seeing Karen, he sees Karen in Marilyn garb. And it's kind of like he's Bernadette of Lourdes and Karen is the Virgin Mary or Marilyn Monroe. But like, you know, instead of hearing Karen, it's like he's having, he should see a neurologist because he, he, all of a sudden he's not, it's not just that he is seeing Karen in Marilyn garb and hearing what Karen is saying, but suddenly it's not Karen talking, it's Marilyn talking about how she doesn't want to do uh, some like it hot. And, you know, she wishes that Arthur wouldn't say, you know, whatever he just said before, because it's like something Joe would say. Mm -hmm. And she's just trying to have a baby. Do you think, because what brings this on isn't just that Karen rolls her eyes, it's that she also... She she starts to to object to the yes. line, you know. She is standing up mm-hmm. um, Which for is Marilyn that Ivy encouraged her to do. Yes, is Ivy's plan backfiring? Because now Derek sees Karen more than ever before. He sees Karen as being the right Marilyn for his so vision. I, I, I um so. In episode two, the callback, we had the experience of seeing Karen. You know, in the musical, in the fantasy part of the musical number, all of a sudden she is in the blonde wig, in the full Marilyn regalia. But I think this is the first time that it's 
Derek and only Derek seeing her as Marilyn. Okay. Is that, I, I tried to, I tried to think if, I feel like, or if it happened, if it happened earlier, and it might have happened once earlier, where kind of Derek looked at her or saw her read lines and kind of saw Marilyn. But if it happened earlier, I think he just saw her as Marilyn in the regalia. But now he's just—he's not only seeing her; he's hearing her. Like it's not that she's just the vision of Marilyn. She mm-hmm. she is you know the walking, talking <laughs> embodiment of Marilyn. Oh, interesting. I okay. So what I saw because I agree with you that during because as part of Karen's callback, you know, she does. She learns a whole number, and, yeah. and so and so Derek and us, you know, yes. we see her like in the fantasy number. What I got from this was that it's not just that. Oh, Karen is wow! What a looker! What a singer! He, it's that there's something that Karen is understanding Marilyn now to a deeper degree. And now even, it's not even about her um, ability. Like this would just be great casting because there's something innately similar to Marilyn that this actress has. Mm -hmm. Which like, I think is one of the fundamental flaws of the show because I don't think Catherine McPhee, the person has something that is innately Marilyn-esque, but to move on with the show, I think we can accept that Derek sees yeah. sees it at in least her. for his vision. Because because yes. what what's very clear, and I think something the show is setting up nicely, is that the creative team, if they had it their way, would be making two different musicals. <laughs> yeah, or or at least Derek would be. I mean, Derek. I mean, Eileen. I think likes both people and just like i think eileen also like likes a little bit of healthy competition and she thinks these people bring out these are good these people collaborate make these people make magic together these mm-hmm. are people who can make a great show um and well I, based on that zanuck number they can they can they truly can um i i think what the show is 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 really setting up is that if derek had a chance he'd be making and we haven't made an edgier joke <laughs> in a while about Karen because she's so edgy <laughs> but he would be making an edgier version of Marilyn Monroe's life story and he'd be making it with his dark haired beauty and it would be a s- story about how she's all sex and how men wanted her and I, I'm, he's a I'm, real chauvinist. <laughs> I'm not really clear on what Derek's vision is for Marilyn, though. We know, like, it involves one republic, <laughs> involves white satin sheets and a cage, <laughs> <laughs> which is so perfect because, as I tweeted the other day, one republic did do the official song for WrestleMania. <gasps> which, cages. <laughs> there we go. They do songs. They have cage matches. Cage matches. Alrighty. And, oh, and not so much these days but the objectification of women okay cool and the injuring of people yes without yes, <laughs> yes. um and the lack of proper health care yes <laughs> so okay something broadway actors i'm sure can relate to so <laughs> um when they're not working yeah all right so then we uh so so they so we have a good day in rehearsal uh-huh. uh and then 
we, there's a quick little thing. Um, it's super. It just it's super quick. Nick, we see like a, a a quick little thing. I think while Karen is singing, and oh, sorry, no, that, that's later. That I might think. be later. But the point at some point, and it's just quick. We get to see Nick and. Um, Eileen and Eileen's like, I can't believe you're doing all of this for me. You know, you should really ask for something like a producer. Oh, yes, this does happen now. Yeah, and he goes, Oh, don't worry, I will. I love their mature love story that is unfolding before us. It's. So I love their age appropriate love. It's so great. They're so. It's so hot. It really it's, is. It's really hot. Yeah. yeah. There, yeah. Okay. So we go to Karen's apartment, um, and Karen is in another cute little nighty. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. Because I guess she's going to apologize to Dev or forgive for him. She's going to give him makeup sex. She's going to give, she, yes. Fucking asshole. Karen has had a great day, and she feels like a roll in the hay with Dev. So, and maybe that's something he's good at. We don't know. So, she wants to use him for his body. I feel at this point she is entitled to it. So, but anyway, so she opens the door expecting Dev, but it's not Dev, it's Derek, because he has schlepped his personhood across town to tell her um, that Rebecca Duvall will be at rehearsal tomorrow, and he appreciates all of her great work this week and also that he wants to apologize for you know that thing <laughs> and the the part of the conversation that bothers me the most is that she's like the what and he's he like smirks at her and he's like oh i think you know yeah and then he does go on to say you know that first night you know it's like i made certain assumptions based on a hardwired set of personal experiences which befall a director of note and yeah so and karen does kind of not quite accept his apology call that an apology yes so again kudos to karen for not accepting a load of BS, but, you know, so clearly Derek has been shook a little bit by his stroke or whatever it was this afternoon or, you know, his artistic uh, it was, epiphany. It was just, it, it, it was Ivy, though. Ivy was coaching well, here, him and... Yes, well, I think it's, like, funny. Like, he needs he needs both of them. He needs <sighs> Ivy, he needs both Ivy and Karen in order to be productive as a director in this musical i hate men i hate dev more i I, hate dev men are trash i hate them all i'm so like this i'm so i like more john i don't even care that he's a republican this week i like him yeah no no he is like the fact that the best of them is a republican yeah I like Lawyer John. I like Leo. Tom was pretty okay this week. I used Sansa's line from Game of Thrones. He was the best of them. (laughs) You were the best of them, Tyrion. (laughs) Yeah. All my husbands. husbands. Oh, Sansa. Um, Okay. So, all right. So, but Derek and Karen have this exchange, and um, then Derek leaves, and as he's walking down the street, he crosses paths with Dev, who is carrying flowers because I guess he wants to make up as well. But anyway, Dev sees Derek and all of his, you know, worst impulses get activated and uh, they brawl. Because once again, Dev's anger is not about Karen. It is about himself and how dare Derek touch his property yeah and it's gross and karen goes out and breaks it up then 
Karen and Dev go inside and they fight some more. And Dev finally, finally tells Karen that he did not get the job that he wanted and he has an opportunity in Washington and, like, does she, you know, if, hypothetically, if she he had to move to Washington, you know, basically, does she love him enough to move with him? And she turns that question around and says, like, well, would you do the same for me? And, you know, we basically leave it at that impasse. Wait, I have a question, a real question here. Does she or does he say, does he, he doesn't, or does he dare her to ask him the question? And she refuses. Yes, you're right. That is what okay. happens. So um, basically Dev's like, would you do that for me? And Because I think in that moment, if she had asked him, he would just be like, because I would, because he's abusive. I know, because he's the worst, and but he wouldn't really mean it. But yeah, yeah basically she oh, said, yeah, he yeah. wouldn't mean it. Oh, no. It's like, um, oh, shoot. What was it? Oh, How I Met Your Mother did this. Where I didn't watch that show. It's, it's okay. I, there's like, and again, this is a classic twenty-something conflict in relationships. Yeah. Like when you're young and your careers are kind of new, and you know, yeah, you might get an opportunity where you would have to move. Yeah, and, Colby Smulders. Basically, what happens is Col- uh, Colby Smulders' character, uh-huh. Agent Maria Hill, um, uh, Robin gets a job offer that would take her like. Out, you know, away from her, the guy she's dating, who's not a main character, and she turns it down. She doesn't even discuss. She just turns it down because she wants to prioritize their relationship. He's their next choice. Oh and my he, god! He takes the job, and wow. he comes like over all excited to tell her that he got this great job. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's it. It, That's good. Yeah, it was a good way of doing that storyline. I, I agree. That's a nice twist on that. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So, you know, so there we have Karen and Dev, I think, at an impasse for the week. Uh, but Dev and his male fragility and his... Yeah. Because basically... I think he would be a jerk about, like, the whole sexual harassment thing, no matter what. But basically, he's taking that and throwing all this like anger and animosity that he has about his own job situation and placing it into this situation that he has with Karen instead and it's just the worst he's the worst and I I haven't done I wasn't prepared (laughs) I'm really trying not to go into a monologue I've been thinking about whether or not Dev is an abusive boyfriend like not or does Dev show the signs of being an abusive boyfriend because uh, I I wonder how Dev would react if um, Karen was actually doing an acting job where she had to kiss somebody or get naked or like do a love scene mm-hmm. or like oh, these are all very realistic things that she would do like mm-hmm. in her job especially considering how she looks these are the yeah. types of roles that she would yeah, get exactly. asked to play mm-hmm. yes um, I think. I think Dev shows signs of being an abusive partner, like control and anger and... Well, I think he's certainly a shitty partner. Yeah. Yeah. I think he is kind of like that insidious type of shitty Yeah, in terms of, yes, it's not that he is stealing your paycheck or... Whatever, you know, giving you a black eye. He is he is an insidious kind of shitty. Yeah, I think when, when someone's jealousy 
is that ugly when you can't, like a girl can't even get sexually harassed with him out and wanting to beat up the guy because that's his romantic threat, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'm throwing Dev away. Yeah. I'm so done with him. <laughs> I'm so done with him. <laughs> but wait, there's more. We're not done with this season yet. Oh. I bet you he comes back. Um, so then we go to Ivy's apartment where Derek has gone after the fight. And Ivy, he's got, Ivy is pressing frozen peas to his punched face. Uh, and she has on another another nighty yeah so and we are Ivy definitely takes note of the fact of like why the fuck did you go over there i was trying to be nice you couldn't have been nice over the phone yeah which <sighs> is something that i think i think lawyer john would have asked the very same question yeah there was no it was yes uh, derek is actively hitting on karen again. well i don't even i don't even think it's so much that he's hitting on her at this point i think he's He's just, like, dazzled by her, and I don't think he... I think he's trying to understand for himself, like, what the hell is going on. <laughs> like, why am I seeing her as Marilyn? What, you know, I think he, he's, he's just, like... I don't even know if it's sexual at this point. Though. Not that I'm saying he would ever object to sleeping with her, but, yeah. like, I think, like, he is having this workplace experience that he hasn't necessarily had before and can't understand and it all it's and the root of it all is this woman and he he, he's just like looking at her like trying to figure out like why 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 do you (laughs) i don't want to say why do you do this to me because she's not doing anything to him but it's like why why is this happening why do i he would say that though he would say it though yeah like why you know why do i see you in my dreams you know she has this power over me yeah and um and ivy looks very great in a silk pink silk negligee with Mm -hmm. a turquoise silk robe so that's three negligees for ivy this week (laughs) and one negligee for karen so we got to see a lot of beautiful ladies and sexy lingerie Mm -hmm. and sadly we only got to imagine men wearing only towels i hate men (laughs) but we want to see them just in towels don't we i don't think not right now no okay right now i'm so upset (laughs) (laughs) all right but we've got another nick scene coming up yay so we're at nick's bar and it's nighttime and it's all full and crowded and eileen um has brought the three investors downtown to nick's bar so you know, we've got Manny and Robin and the other guy, and she introduces them to Randy Cobra, her, the new investor. They're like, okay, well, this is great, and, and we're glad that Rebecca Duvall is in town, and we still want to meet her tomorrow, and we've still got our demands. And Eileen's like, no, 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 I don't think so. And then she throws our other contracts in a metal bucket and it pours some liquor over them, and then Randy Cobra lights it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick's bar does not have a working smoke detector. And this was a little extra of Eileen to go to these lengths, but it was fun. And that is the end of the investors. We are just going to go with Randy Cobra's money from this point going forward. They're putting all their eggs in one metal waste basket. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we... Um, Back in the rehearsal studio, right? Yes. So, for, you know, first of all, we're you know we're kind of doing a montage of sad faces yes. in different locations. 
around the city. And I think we start with Julia sitting in alone at a restaurant, presumably waiting for Frank. Yeah. And we start to hear singing. And for the first, like, ten seconds, I thought it was Ivy singing. Me too. I'm so glad that you thought that too. So, but then the singing goes on, and as we're you know montaging around to our different characters in different places, suddenly you know we're in the rehearsal studio, and we see it's not Ivy singing; it's Karen. Karen has like kind of it sounds the most musical theatery I think yeah. that she's sounded so far, and she is singing the song that we heard in the pilot about never give up the heart. For you know, the, you know, we've added some lines at the beginning that we haven't heard before, like kind of this prologue to the song, and then now it's Karen singing the song that Ivy sang in the pilot mm-hmm. because she is fully embodying Marilyn. Mm-hmm. You know, at least that's what the show is telling us. Um, and it's it's a great moment, and this is, and Ivy Karen gets through the whole song. Mm-hmm. And Ivy, again, because she's unemployed and has nothing else to do, she, uh, we see her um, come to the rehearsal studio and she's like listening or like watching through a crack in the door. And this is Karen's last moment as Marilyn because then we have this great over-the-shoulder shot where the elevator doors open and we're just watching it from over this person's shoulder as she walks down the hall and she see- and Ivy sees her and then she opens the door and then the camera switches around and ta-da! It is Uma Thurman, our star! She's arrived! And she takes off her sunglasses and is basically like, Hi! I'm here! Is this the right place? Mm-hmm. Cut to black. Yep. And um, I will say, like, I've complained a lot about the pacing on this show mm-hmm. with, like, the with the Julia and Michael affair and mm-hmm. then all that. But I really like what they did pacing-wise with the star in terms of they announced, like, like two episodes ago that they were going to bring in a star. And then I think they waited as long as they possibly could to actually bring that person. I think that was good, the way yeah. they did that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So... But so next week will be, we'll see how, we'll see how things go once the star's in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. All right. So, least problematic man of the week. Do you have any nominees? Um, I really had to think about this. <laughs> and then I went, oh, wait, if I was going to nominate someone, I would nominate Leo, who is still technically a minor child, but... If this was Harry Potter in the forest, the giant spiders would say, you are almost a man. (laughs) Leo is very, yes, he's very mature this week and just trying to deal with both of his parents' bullshit (laughs) and stay out of it. I, you know, if we were allowed to give it to a Republican, I would give it to Lawyer John because I think he he displayed a lot of maturity and perceptiveness mm-hmm. and kindness this week then our least problematic man of the week is leo yes <laughs> okay <laughs> all right well we argued that one out and we made a definitive choice <laughs> excellent um so now under five of the week i can i have a couple nominations and i have one Okay. 
Which is the drama teacher. She, yeah. Because as I was going through the episode, I was keeping, I was making a mental note, and there was, like, the NYU kid. But that drama teacher, she was so sweet and enthusiastic to see them, and she threw Julia such a great look in the parking lot. Yeah. I also love that she was wearing, like, an ankle-length velvet skirt. That was... So great. That was perfect for a high school drama teacher. Perfect. And, but... Don't know who that actress is because I looked in the IMDb and I didn't see her listed there. And yeah, I took I took actual screenshots. Did you catch the character's name? I don't. I I don't think she had. No, they did say a name, didn't they? I did not catch the character's name. But I looked in IMDb. I like even paused the credits at the end and didn't see any you know credit that was like as high school teacher. Or, yeah, like I I have like there's a um, so she's a mystery woman. There's I loved a, her though. There's someone named who was Phyllis because Christy Nielsen gets a co-star credit. Oh my credit. god! It was Christy Nielsen. Oh my god! No wonder I loved her. I don't know who that is. Oh, okay. She is. I saw Christy Nielsen in a play last night. Actually, I saw her in Gary, the sequel to Titus Andronicus, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Oh my god. But yeah, she's I feel I think she's like a big Christopher Durang person when Vanya and Sonia and Vanya and Sonia and Scott and whatever I I'm butchering the name of that play, but when that went to Broadway, she was in it. Okay, wait, this is interesting though. Oh my I God. think Smash may have messed something up because she's okay, so cuz she Christine Nielsen. No. Ha, I my uh, my brain is all blurry. Vanya and Son, Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike. Okay, I think I got it that it's time. It's actually Christine Nelson. <laughs> Where are you looking? I'm looking. I took screenshots at the end. This oh. is like co-starring. This is like like Ta- you know Tala Ash is. This yeah. is like she she's credited on the same like page as Tala Ash like as co-star. RJ. <laughs> yeah. Did they just misspell her name on the in the credits? Stranger things have happened. Well, that's why I'm gonna. I'm trying to find her on the official listing for Smash, the, like the Smash full cast list, because well, she's not on the IMDb for the episode, so um, I don't think she's gonna be on the full cast listing either. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to headcanon it that it was Christine Nielsen and. Yeah, I I really do believe it was her, and that there's either there's some reason unknown to us why her name is spelled differently. But no, I think it was her. Oh, remember her when she's like, we spent four months rehearsing this. Oh, that dear sweet woman. Oh, all the dear sweet high school theater Seriously. teachers of the world I'm really who have glad. to deal with like all those like crazy hormonal. You know, it's a lot. Little terrors. I love that the Tonys acknowledge like things like you oh, know, yeah, like Greece. high school drama teachers. Yeah. Yes. All right. How about this? You bring up a picture of Christine Nielsen on your phone, and I am getting to the screenshot of the. Well, while we're doing this, you know who I want to shout out? Jamie Jackson <laughs> from last episode. He played the keyboardist. It's oh, Piano Man! Yeah, and I, I realized I wrote it down, and then I forgot to put it in the show notes. All so. right, so Jamie Jackson, the Piano Man from 
hell on earth. Mm-hmm. Hooray for you. Okay, here's a picture of the high school musical teacher. Here's this oh, screenshot. Yeah. Now look at a picture of Christine Nielsen. Yeah, that could definitely be her. Because that would explain... I wonder, you know what, uh, you know, um, a good way to test our hypothesis would be to credit her for this role, because I bet her people will take it down if it's inaccurate. Credit her for this role? On IMDb. Oh, can, we, can you do that? I, you know what, I, you know, I've never tried to edit anything on IMDb, but I, you know, I'm a Wikipedia editor. Okay. Which, I mean, anyone can be. This is not like a, this is not a humble brag of any sort, but I, I do like to do that. It's a humble humble. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a humble hobby. <laughs> I really enjoyed Gary, the sequel to Tyus and Dramaticus. Mm. It, uh, it's one of those things, kind of like, um, oh, this is actually about Smash again. Um, so you know the num the the Zan- oh the- smash we do a podcast we do a about podcast it. about that. Huh. Um, so the Zanuck number, in addition, to, you know, I, we were talking about how like yes, it's propelling the story forward, all the things you want, but it was also showing all of like the horrible misogyny that Marilyn Monroe had to deal with while giving us a toe tapping tune at the same time. Yep. So and Gary. Um, while I do not think every moment of that play worked, uh, also kind of gave me similar feelings in terms of, uh, entertaining, entertaining you while giving you food for thought at the same time. Huh. Oh, oh, it was great. And there was, there was so much clowning and farce and bodily fluids. It was a terrific play. Right. So maybe, uh. Oh yes, so Maybe yeah, it's I, just a boo boo. Yeah, that it's something. Bec- so, because how do you spell her name? Um, first name K R I S T I N E, last name N I E L S E N. So I guess they just they talk. They just spelled her name wrong, like really wrong. Yeah, because this is just spelled N E L S O N. Yeah. Are we still recording a show? We sh- we sure are. I think we should probably just say we smashed it and uh, give our Twitter handles. Sure, we this sure gonna- did smash it. <laughs> All right. Um, so you can follow the show at Talkin' Smash. There is no G in Talkin'. And you can follow me at Nice White Lady underscores under Nice and White. And you can follow me at Yellow Fairy 19 with an underscore between Yellow and Fairy. And our website is www.talkandsmash.com. Yeah, we smashed it. We smashed it. And then some. Give me.